good morning. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word, open it up to Psalms 58. Psalms 58, as we, uh, as we look at a psalm, probably, and it's possible, if you're watching online, welcome, it's, it's, it's possible that you may have never heard a message from what we call an imprecatory psalm. That's what we're going to preach from today. We're preaching this psalm because that's what comes next. And I think this is an important word for us to not ignore uh, in the world in which we live today. And so let's, let's hear from God's Word this morning. Psalms 58, stand with me if you have it. hope you've got your notes. If you're not, they're back there on the blue table. This is the Word of God. Psalms 58, to the choir master according to the do not destroy, a victim of David... Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of man uprightly? No. In your heart you devise wrongs. Your hand deals out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ears so it does not hear the voice of the charmers or the cunning, the cunning enchanter. O God, break their teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime. Like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Let's pray. Lord, we've gathered here today to hear from your word, and what a word we've just read. That you care about what's going on on this, your earth. You care about what the righteous are doing and what the wicked are doing. And that there is coming a day, that day that we have been singing about, where you will make all things right. And Lord, sometimes you do it now. And so, Lord, allow us, Lord, help us as Americans to not just think about ourselves and our own life this morning because there's a lot of people around us and a lot of people in this world that are suffering at the hands of injustice, at the hands of tyranny. They are enslaved by their addictions, they're enslaved by traffickers, they're enslaved by governments who oppress them. Lord, they are everywhere all over the world, and this psalm is precious to them this morning. And may it be precious to us. Help us to understand how shall we live in light of the world in which we live in, with hope and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. If you know me very well, you know I'm not a political guy. I don't preach politics from the pulpit. Uh, 
But today, God's word points us towards something and we need to point out some context within our own lives, within the church, within our community, because there's wickedness all around us. Do you remember? I remember, I guess it was some eight years ago uh, when we first came to town, there was this there was this hint and rumor that the, there was a casino coming on what that was going to mean. The visible and the invisible church both cried, but here's what we found out as the years progressed, and it finally came to town that many people were secretly excited. The reason why we may not want to say Many people were excited, but the reason they were excited is because we're all plagued with the same sin at at the heart, which is greed. And greed often looks like power and control. This is going on in our families. It goes on in the church. It goes on in the town. It goes on in our world, in this country. And greed is what gambling is rooted in. It is the root of that sin that that is in our town and it is growing The casino comes to town and it immediately begins to throw its money towards our city. It puts its name on all of our banners. It starts giving money to non-profits and says, oh, we're helping education. Nobody talks about the organized crime that it brings. Nobody talks about the prostitution that it brings. Nobody talks about the trafficking that it brings. Nobody talks about the oppression that will leave people poorer than when it came. Nobody talks about it because we turn our minds and our, our heads away so that we can take its money while it oppresses poor and oppresses women and breaks up families. Study history, brothers and sisters, and you will see that silence in the face of evil is the world's greatest wickedness. So just sit there and do nothing. Francis Safer said it this way, Regardless of man's system, he has to live in God's world. This is God's world. But there's a lot of things wrong with this world right now. How are we supposed to deal with it? When we are overpowered by peoples and governments that oppress other people and oppress us, oppress those that we love, How are we supposed to deal with trafficking and rape and incest and all of these things that flow into all of our lives and those lives that we love? How are we supposed to deal with it? This lament is important to this. This is an imprecatory psalm, and quite clearly, what is an imprecatory psalm? It is a psalm of cursing. That's what it is. It's a prayer of cursing for those wicked people who oppress the powerless. It is the ability, as we have been saying week after week, in the bleakness of our situation, to be able to cry out to God for justice and have confidence that He will vindicate His own in time. And yet I've heard this preached. Well, you know, these Psalms, in light of the redeeming love of Christ, that is grace, we don't really need this anymore. We should just skip this this morning. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 and just talk about love. Brothers and sisters, there is no love without justice. So this would be a grave mistake. On How do we help people deal with this injustice of all kinds that's happening? Not only just because it had happened in your life doesn't mean it's not happening in somebody else's life all over the world. 
How do we help them? What do we do with it when we see this injustice and our anger boils? It is pointless and dangerous to suppress our emotions in the midst of injustice. Rather, we are supposed to turn those emotions honestly and openly over to God. Turn with me to Romans 12. We're going to begin and end there today. Romans 12. How do we do that? I think there's an important word here. Romans 12, verse 17 says, Repay no, e- no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceable with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Here's, here's our little phrase. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, this is a promise, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Imprecatory praying leaves it and leaves it to the wrath of God. We don't leave it to nothing. We don't say, oh well. No, we say, I'm going to give that over to God. I'm going to give that person over to God because he's going to do what is right. He says, Pastor, do, do you pray like that? Yep. I've also seen him answer it. In this life, I have, I will, but there are some warnings here. Am I willing to examine my motives as I pray? Am I willing before I start praying the wrath of God down on somebody to say, why am I praying this? Is I'm praying this because they've hurt my pride. Maybe they've impugned my character. Or is, or is God's glory being diminished? Is there suffering and justice being done? Is that why I'm praying in this? Am I willing to entrust the outcome to the Lord? That's hard. That's the heart behind Romans 12. I must entrust this wickedness and these a wicked person into the hands of God. And I must be at this same time I do this aware of my own sinfulness. To save God's grace and mercy in my life. Save His regenerating work and God's word turning my conscience soft, I would do the great evil they are doing and enjoy it just like them. You see, in the world full of injustice, the righteous must pray for God to bring justice to the wicked and relief to the righteous. And they do it as a testimony that there is a God in heaven and He is the judge. David prays two things I want you to see this morning. Prophetically, and then he turns the wicked over to the all-powerful to do what is right. We're going to spend a lot of time on this first line in verse 1. The question. He, he asks in verse 1 a, a rhetorical question as if he's speaking to the wicked themselves. He's doing this as a means, a rhetorical means of indicting them in prayer. He says, look at verse 1, just the first line. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? The end. The question he's asking is this. Did you speak up in the face of injustice? The key word to understand this, and it's really hard to see it by just reading it, is that little two words at the end called, it says, you gods. That means two things put together. It means earthly rulers, and it also means silent ones. That's important. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 16, just listen to it. 
It says, moreover, I saw the Son in the place of justice. Even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. It's, it's just true. And brothers and sisters, you know it if you've been around a little while, that as you talk to people that, that do not go to church regular anymore, oftentimes it's because their greatest run-in with wickedness was in the church. Right? Church, they call it church hurt. We've heard of it this week. Wickedness and sinfulness within the church. This wickedness of silence by those in authority. It is these people were in authority to do something and they, they did nothing. Maybe they just sit there idly by. You know, see there, they don't always sit idly by. Some participate. Some do nothing. Some just quit and run. It's all wickedness. The church is seen as a place that we're, instead of being a place who brings in, who goes and searches and brings in the broken, it is a place where power grabbing happens within deacon bodies and the sheep are eaten by the wolves. This is an indictment. This is a prayer of cursing against that that goes on. Who People who see evil going on and simply turns their heads. The Bible says that justice and injustice is a gospel issue. And to be silent is to be wicked. To buy into the lie that since we are evangelicals, we just preach the gospel. Preaching without action is hypocrisy. Faith without works is dead. And the Bible is clear. Francis Schaeffer again says truth carries with it confrontation. Truth demands confrontation, loving confrontation, but confrontation nonetheless. You know, and most of the time we feel like, you know, what am I supposed to do? This is just the way people are. Remember the words Martin Luther King Jr. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. It's what David felt like. He had friends in Saul's army that hunted him down like an animal. This was not the Philistines or the Amalekites. This was his fellow Israelite. Saul was his king, and he never spoke one ill word or raised one hand against his king, and yet his king meant to kill him. And there were people in authority who did nothing, who said nothing, and just went along with it because, you know, what can we do? David said, I'm siding with God and his righteousness on this. And what they're doing is not okay. And I don't believe God's okay with it. But understand this point this morning. That wickedness can be active or wickedness can be passive. Wickedness is just as wicked to God for someone to sit by and do nothing while evil reigns. We are supposed to act. And lay our life down if possible. Edmund Burke, writing in the 1770s, said it this way. When bad men combine, the good must associate. Else they will fall one by one to an, unpity, uh, to an unpitied sacrifice in a contemptible struggle. 
What he was saying was, when evil people gather together to do great things, the righteous better gather together too. That's why the church must create a network of gospel-like-mindedness for the sake of the kingdom. We're actually going to talk about that more in our prayer focus later. But listen, American individualism shoots itself in the foot. For it looks after itself only to be enslaved by the very evil it ignores. There's another question he asked. Did you judge with impartially? Were you impartial by the way you deal with people? You see, that was built into the Mosaic Law. Deuteronomy 16, 19 says this. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Verse 20. Justice and only justice you shall follow. That you may live and inherit the land of the Lord your God has given you. David is reminding that these earthly rulers, no matter what position they hold, whether it's within the government or your family or the church, has a responsibility to make sure that all members of society enjoy justice and equity and that aren't oppressed. It's not just the place of a few. Again, Martin Luther King Jr. says this, A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law or the law of God. An unjust law is a code that is out of harmony with the moral law. He goes on to say that it is an unjust law for the powerful to create a law that they do not keep themselves. His whole point of this is that all rulers, all human rulers, are responsible to the Almighty to do what is right. They are all responsible. Psalms 82.6 uses this same God's language. says, I said you are God's son of the most high. All of you, nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. So he says all of this in order to indict them in prayer for what they are doing to him and to God's people. Verse 2, the answer is, to the, to the rhetorical question was no. No, you didn't stand up for, the, for the, those experiencing injustice. No, you didn't. Your, your heart matters. You see that in verse, the first line? No, in your heart you devise wrong. See, wicked people could be within or without the community of Israel. They could be the Philistines. They could be the Amalekites. But in this context, it's the king himself. It's, it's those within. It's, you can be within this community and not honor God and not fear Him. You could be within this community and abandon the standard of how we live in relationship with God and how we will live in relationship with other people. And that's what they have done. That's what makes them wicked. Think about it. Some of y'all with gray hair. How many churches have you known that's been planted as a gospel work? And how many churches do you know that the reason they exist is because somebody got mad down the street and started another church? You tell me whether that's righteous or wicked. It is what it is. 
It comes out of selfishness for pride and desire to have godless power and control. God calls that wicked. And listen, an active heart can produce both great good or great evil. But an apathetic heart is a dangerous heart. Because it just sits idly by as wicked people do wicked things and does nothing. That's not what we are created to do. He, he indicts them for their motives and he indicts them for their actions. Your hands deal out violence. It never stays in the heart. <laughs> Wickedness never does. What you look at, the porn you look at, goes in your head goes into your mind, and it will eventually come out into your hands. Actions matter. The theology behind this is simple. Since God's people, His community, have experienced mercy, we should show mercy. James 2, if you remember, says it this way. This is the New Living Translation. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful to you when he judges you. So he's indicting these earthly rulers that instead of serving the people, they're squeezing the life out of people. And we see this in society, even in governments, through unjust laws and excess taxes classism, elitism, we use people. They use people rather than serve people. Think about this in our politics today. Weren't you just glad to get this election cycle over and now it's going to start again here before long? It's just, just, just the most power-grabbing stuff. It's like whatever happened to serving our community. This is what he's indicting. You see, this is practical. If you skip this, we have no way to answer for what is wrong with this world and what is God going to do about it. But the indictment continues. He, he says, you're doing these things because you were born wicked. Not my words. Look what he says in verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. The Bible is clear about this. No one is born righteous Psalms 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I mean, before a baby can speak, they can manipulate you to get what they want. Can't they? The grandparents, y'all got to be honest. That baby can do whatever you want them to do, and she don't have to say anything. She can stiffen up like a board, and you know exactly, Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. There's, there's, there's sin in there from the nature of, that's our problem. That's their problem. What he's saying is because they have a nature that is in sin, they lie. Look at verse 3. They go astray from birth speaking lies. They have, verse 4, venom like the venom of a serpent. The picture here is these people are deadly. They're deadly with their words. They're deadly with their actions. But think about our society today. <laughs> I mean, at least snakes kill rodents, but we kill our own. We murder our own progeny and call it women's rights. It's a great wickedness. And here's, here's what he goes on to say. 
These, these folks, they won't listen. And if you don't listen, you can't repent. Verse 4, they have venom like the venom of a serpent, like, a, like the deaf adder that stops its ears so that it does not hear the voice of the charmers or the cunning enchanter. The picture of someone playing that flute like we've seen on TV and that, that snake coming up, sort of following. He said, I'm going, the wicked people don't do that. They have ears, Ezekiel says, but they can't hear. They have eyes, but they don't see. They're, they're worse than a snake. Because <laughs> at least a snake can be somewhat charmed. So these are, they're like a snake that can't see, like one whose senses is messed up. He's just going to bite anything. Here's the reality, and this affects how, well, how we do, how we minister. Uh, you can't win people um, with clever arguments that are dead and deaf and blind. Uh, I can't come up with a clever series and all of us wear our T-shirts. You know, you'd mic it to produce just the right sound with just the right people. And we can draw in the wicked and then they, they can, we'll, we'll win them that way. That's not, that's not, that's, they got a bigger problem than that. The only way people are saved is through the power of the Spirit of God that comes when the Word of God is preached. It must be proclaimed. That is the only thing that saves them. It is a work of God, not a work of us. But when wicked people do wicked things, we bring their wickedness before God and we give it to Him. And that's what He's doing here. And so as He indicts them, now He is about to hand them over to God. We see David's confident prayer to the all-powerful judge. The righteous will pray for justice. And notice David's prayer is specific. It's it's. Very specific, what he prays here. He first prays, look at verse 6. For God to frustrate their plans. And again, I mentioned this last week. These psalms are connected. They're not just haphazardly placed in a book. They're put together for a reason. And so in Psalms 57 verse 4, we we can remember that, that the psalmist calls the people around him like he's in around a... It was like the picture of Daniel in the lion's den. It, he's been surrounded by his enemies, and these enemies are like lions about to, about to eat him. Not only is, is he comparing them to, to, to lions, he also compares their mouth to arrows and swords. And so what he's praying here is for whatever their plans are for me, and in your life, whatever their plans are for you, for God to stop it. To frustrate their plans. That's what he's praying for very practically. Verse 6 says, Oh God, to break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. He's wanting to rob, God to rob them of the ability to hurt them. Since they have no capacity for that to do what is, what is good, he is asking them for God to stop them from doing what is evil against us. And he said, did he answer this? He did. He used the Philistines to stop Saul. He destroyed the, the army of Israel and Saul lost his life. He did answer this prayer. Blunted arrows at the end of verse 
7, that you would blunt the arrows when he shoots them so they won't hurt. Again, David says in, in chapter 57, verse 4, that they dug a pit and they fell in it themselves. That's what he's praying for, that God would undermine their plans I thought about this as I was reading this. Could this be why Paul tells us that we should put on spiritually the breastplate of righteousness and carry the shield of faith? He goes further. I'm just reading you the text this morning. This is the specific prayer. He prays not only that their plans would be frustrated, he prays for God to end their life. Look at verse 7. He said, let them vanish like water that runs away. Uh, The picture here is of a dry, parched ground. And you you wring out a sponge on a dry, parched ground and pour off a little water and it's just gone. You pour water on a rock going downhill and it just goes down and it's gone. That's the picture he's praying for their life. Look at verse 8. He said, let them be like a snail that dissolves into slime. Now, I know nobody's done this here, but have you ever heard... Of anybody pouring salt on a snail. That's what he's saying. This wicked people who oppress us, Lord, uh, just, just pour some salt on them. Just that they be dissolved away. Like a stillborn child. Who never sees the sun. He said, Lord, this world would be better if they never existed. Oh, he's not done. Look at verse 9. He not only tells them to to frustrate their plans, to end their life, he says wipe away their legacy. It's a complicated, wordy way to say it here in verse 9. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. A couple of really good Spurgeon quotes. He, He says things... Hey, matter of fact, this one quote has like been the quote of the week for me. Just had to think about it all week. He says, their life never comes to ripeness. Their aims are abortive. Listen, their only achievement is to have brought misery to others and horror to themselves. And when they leave, the whole world claps. He said, listen to this. This is a sobering but listen to this imagery. Every unregenerate person is an abortion, missing the true form of God-manhood, corrupting in the darkness of sin, never seeing the light of God in purity in heaven. He's saying every unregenerate person is an abortion. Get the picture in your mind. He's saying they never come to fruition of what God created them to be. Instead, in darkness, they are destroyed and they never see the light of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what they were intended to be, but they never see it. He says, may their their plans, may their lives, and may their legacy be like a double-wide trailer in the path of a tornado. It's just gone without a trace. You say, my goodness, I ain't never heard, I ain't never heard this before. Listen, this is how he felt, and this is what he prayed. Here's the point. 
verse 10 and 11. The judge is going to do what's right. The judge is going to do what's right. He's going to do what's right, and he did in David's life. And he's going to do what's right in your life. And he's going to do what's right in those that are being genocided. And he's going to do what's right. What happened in the Holocaust, he's going to do what's right. The righteous, verse 10, will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Many will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. What he's getting to here is that the triumph over the wicked will be visible. The triumph over the wicked one day will be a testimony. It's not going to be done in private. But it's happening. The culmination of all things, of what all people have done, both good and bad, is going to be taken care of one day. Called the day of the Lord. God has not been sleeping. God has been taking notice. He has been, as the Bible says, taking notes. David is confident that the wicked will be utterly and finally overthrown. But not the godly. Not the godly. The godly will not be finally forsaken. That all our labor for the glory of God and the kingdom of God will be rewarded one day. And all of our suffering will be made right. And I know this morning, and I know this morning, that probably 70% of the things you've heard, you're sitting there going, this just rubs against me like rubbing a cat the wrong way against our American modern sensibilities. But listen, could it be that you have not suffered as the psalmists have suffered if this is so hard to hear? Could it be that we are protecting our children from what is going on all over the world? There's there's people that are suffering. There's genocide that is happening in our country where babies who have no way to fight are chopped into pieces. Just like it was in David's day when the enemy come in and they came in with their swords and their spears and and they... separated mothers from their children even before they were born. This is happening all over the world. It happened in Nazi Germany. And if you remember in some of those wars, America for a long time stood idly by and says, well, that's just their problem. Until they started burying in our children. When genocide happens, when the Holocaust happens, when trafficking happens, brothers and sisters, you need to know that there is a God in heaven that is going to do what is right. And that is our God. That is Jesus. He's coming back, brothers and sisters. And He's not coming back holding the Lamb. Let's just look at it. Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. He's coming back. And listen, it's not going to be a secret when he comes back. We look at this text and it says, they're going to dip their robes in the blood of the wicked. Turn with me to Revelation 19. It is Jesus whose robes dipped in blood. Do you remember? 
Revelation 19 and verse 13. Notice the context. This is not the blood of atonement. This is, this is the wrath of God. This is what David's praying for and ultimately knows is going to happen. Look at verse 13. Jesus is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following on a white horse. Verse 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. Listen. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 6.15 says, Then the kings and the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves among the rocks of the mountains, calling on the mountains to fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand it? The, the evil will be triumphed over, and they will be triumphed over visibly. What you have been through in your life is going to be made right. You can count on it because the word of God is true. And so it's true that the righteous will be rewarded. In the same way that this is dreadful for those who know not Christ, for those who do know him, this is the day we look forward to. It is the reason why we've been singing about it. God does not promise us that we will not go through things that are wicked and evil in this life. Matter of fact, He promises us we'll suffer. He does promise that He's going to make it right. We tend to forget sometimes that, yes, evil seems like it wins on the short term. We don't live for short, short term. We live for long terms. We stand for righteousness because we know that evil will be judged and good will be rewarded. And this looks like something in our life, very practical. Matthew 25, just listen, you've heard this many times. Verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a sheep separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. And I was thirsty and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king answered them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And you tell me whether justice and injustice is not a gospel issue. 
It is a judgment issue. It is a reward issue. So what? How shall we live? I like that. That's a a quoted Francis Schaeffer. That's one of his lines. How shall we live? There's just some practical things here. More that we could say, but four specifically. Pray for leaders and pray for godly ones. Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 1. It says, first of all, then I urge for supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving to be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. It is awfully hard this next election cycle. To pick a greedy, power-hungry president and expect to live in peace. Amen? If you you want to pick one that will make you rich like him, then vote the way you want to vote. But if you're a Christian, you better vote your Christian conscience and we better pray that there's someone godly on there to vote for. Because that's the only way we can live in peace. Second is just a very way to stay positive. In the midst, and I know if you work a job very long, (laughs) you're going to have to deal with ornery bosses, even wickedness. Any almost any industry that you go to be a part of, there is there is great wickedness that goes on, immorality that goes on inside. It doesn't matter what industry it is. Here's what you need to do: be the leader that you desire to see. Stop complaining about your bad leaders. If you want to be, you want good leadership, then be one. And if you choose to be a leader like Christ was, what you'll eventually look behind you and you'll begin to see somebody's following you. Be the leader that you want to see. It was Jesus, John 13, on that night that he was betrayed when he was in the upper room. What did he do? With all that was before him, with all that God had entrusted to him, he rose and took off his robe and washed his disciples' feet. Be the leader you want to see. And speak up in the face of injustice. No matter what it costs you. Listen to the heart of God. God does not change how he feels about these issues. Exodus 22-21, listen to what God says. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. Does it sound like the fatherless and the widows And the oppressed are important to God. It takes more than a vote and a sign to be pro-life. You have to be willing to walk into the mess of it. The reason why this seems so harsh this morning is because most of us have insulated ourselves from those that are experiencing injustice. Instead of approaching them and getting to know them and listening to their stories and then trying to sleep that night after you know what they have to go home to. Speak up in the face of injustice. Stand in the gap. We seek reward in this life. We do, but we seek it later.
Seek reward, but seek it later. You see, the reward for the righteous is the enjoyment of the presence of God within a perfect community in a new world that God promises we'll receive. That's it. That's what we long for. I don't need it in this life. Let it wait. This life is about war. Do you hear his language in his psalm? This is warfare language. There's things happening here and we're called to do something. The reward of the righteous is the enjoyment of the presence of God in a new community, a perfect community in a new world. God's promises that we'll receive and because of that, 2 Peter 3, 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Two simple ways to deal with wickedness. Pray honestly and turn them over to God and then let God take care of the vengeance in your life. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live in peace with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We can trust the Lord to do what is right, so that we can simply trust him and live. Let's pray. And so, Lord, I know this was a a heavy text for us, but a good text, a a text that we need, a text that people that we love and people that we minister to and people that we know that are suffering right now need to understand that God cares about what's going on in their life. And so, Lord, we thank you for it. We pray for the Holy Spirit now to help us understand it and apply it to not misuse it, but to use it as we need to in the life in which we are called to live, to bring you glory, to not let anything get in the way of following you and to enjoy you and to serve you where we are. And so now, Lord, we've come to this time where we remember who we were, as part of our time of communion, Lord, where we pause just now and, and say, Lord, if it was not for your grace and your mercy, your invading grace that changed my very nature and those that are in this room's very nature to give us a nature that loves you, that seeks to follow you, that, to, to help us feel the pain of other people and go towards that pain to remember we were sinners, but now we are children. Lord, now we come to remember that your amazing grace, the giving of your Son on the cross, and His body and His blood, bringing us peace and hope and forgiveness and joy and a future and a family and an inheritance. Now we rejoice in all these things. Even when things are bad here on earth and tough, and even when we have a bad week, we can gather together with the redeemed and say there is a God who loves us and there is a God who one day will make things right and I trust him so now Lord may we enjoy you 
in your presence as we sing your name and as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.